0: Uh, Father God, we thank you for just this time. We thank you through the power of your Son, through the power of your Spirit, Father, that uh, we'll have a blessed time in Sunday school. We'll have a blessed time in our worship, yeah. Father. Just asking that you would uh, anoint the speaker, anoint the ears of the hearers. Let us learn what you want us to learn about the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, "Amen." amen. amen. It's, just know if you ever, if I don't ever see you saying "Amen," I'm going to talk to you afterwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do a little evangelism, so when I say that, um, as we begin, as we began last week, uh, we were talking. There was a just, it was just a really a brief introduction uh, to the to what the work of the Spirit of God is. Now, here's a question: Can anybody remember what our definition of what what Wayne Grudem says? What is the work of the Spirit? I'll give you guys a hint. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest. There you go to be active, active to manifest the active presence of God in the world. And He says He adds to it, especially in the church. And as I reflected over what, what we covered last week, I think it's to, it's important to remember uh, that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, uh, is the member of the Trinity who the Scriptures most often represent as being present to do God's work in the world. And by present, I agree with what what Grudem says. He means present to bless, and I agree with that. Now, we just covered some basic scriptures, and this week we're going to move on to the empowering of the Spirit. Now, here's another question. What does it mean to you guys that the Spirit empowers? What does that call up in your memory? What does that make you think uh, about? If somebody says, If they're out on the street or if you go into a church or if they're in your office and they say the spirit empowers, what do you think about?
1: Day of Pentecost.
0: Day of Pentecost. Yes, ma'am. Enables and uh, equips. Enables and equips. Very good. Endurance. Endurance. Very good. Anybody else? It's fine. There are two, and what Grudem says is that there are two primary ways that the Spirit empowers us in the Scriptures. Now, in the Scriptures, they are that the Spirit, one, gives life, the Spirit gives life. I guess I should write this down. The Spirit gives life, and that the Spirit gives power for service. That's That was the one. Life and two... He gives power for service. Yes, I was one of those people that was very happy with the invention of the computer, so I didn't have to handwrite my papers. <laughs> so, so the Spirit gives life. Turn, somebody turn to Psalm 104. As you guys are turning there, just on that point that I just mentioned, I remember I turned in a paper maybe in the fifth grade, and it was right when computers were coming onto the scene, and it was handwritten, and I asked my teacher, I said, do you, do you want me to hand writ- or to type this up? And then my teacher went, yes. <laughs> this is back to me. So I, I know I have bad handwriting. Is anybody at Psalm 104? Does anybody want to read verses 27 through verse 30? Psalm 104, go ahead, Mr. Juan. <clears throat> These
2: wait all upon thee. That Thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That Thou givest them, they they gather. Thou openest Thy hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest Thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth Thy Spirit, and they are created. And Thou renewest the face of the earth.
0: Now, if you notice in verse 30, it says in in the NASB, it says, you send forth your spirit and they are created. So this is a a, a text in the Old Testament that is speaking about the creative work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And we can see here that the the spirit plays a role in our creations. And as Christians, we have to be aware that it's our triune God that uh, that is responsible for creating it. I know that I Often, me and uh, me and Pastor Chris were talking about this earlier. I often, sometimes think that just the Son created. I tend to sometimes think that, or just the Father created. I rarely ever give uh, credence to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one that also created. So, does anybody here do that? I know that uh, you'll you'll be talking to some people sometimes, and they'll just mention, well, the, you know, the Son created John one one and Colossians uh, uh, Colossians one, and that uh, they will never. Nobody ever says that the Holy Spirit created. So turn somebody turn to Job thirty-four. Job thirty-four. Verses fourteen and fifteen. Is anybody there?
2: If he should determine to do so, if he should gather for himself his spirit and his bread. All flesh would
0: perish together and man would return to dust. And man would return to dust. If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath. Now remember last week we talked about what the word ruach in the Old Testament can mean. It can mean it can mean spirit or it can mean breath or it can mean wind. And it's the same with the New Testament with the word pneuma. So again, here we have the interplay of if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, well what's going to be the result of God doing that? all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. That's a powerful scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one that created us, and we have to, in our prayers, in our walk, in all the things that we do, we have to be Trinitarian, and we have to give honor and credit and uh, give worship to the Holy Spirit. Now, do we have a Trinitarian worship? And how often has you, have you thought about the fact that God, that the Spirit of God has his life in your hands? Have you ever paid any attention to that? I mean, the Spirit of God, just as much as the Father, the Spirit of God, just as much as the Son, has your life in his hands. That, to me, is kind of an amazing thought. And I I don't pay it enough attention, but it's something that the Scripture talks about. But, as a Christian, there is another way that the Spirit brings life. He does this through the act of regeneration when we receive new life. Okay, Somebody turn to John chapter 3. This is a well-known passage of Scripture. John chapter 3. Anybody got John chapter 3? Verses 4 through 8. Go ahead, sir. Nicodemus said
1: to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the
0: spirit. So as we see in this verse, in verse six, it says, That which is born born of flesh is flesh. Uh, and that which is born of spirit, and it should be, it, how many people in their Bible, that first spirit is capitalized? with a capital S. It's in my Bible, in NASB. But the second S, the second spirit is not capitalized. How many people have the the second S not capitalized? Now, what's the Bible trying to tell us? It's trying to say that what is, everything that is born of the spirit, that is the spirit of God, who is God himself, is spirit by nature. It's spirit by what it's going to do, by how it's going to affect you, and how it's going to act. It's not saying that... Uh, every, everything that's born of the Spirit is the Spirit. That's not what it's saying. It's not equating things that are equal. It's saying that if it's born of the Spirit, it's going to be done by the power of the Spirit. And that's what our regeneration is. Our regeneration is something that comes, and that's what the passage is talking about. It says you, it, you, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. And that's how the Spirit acts. We don't know... How the Spirit's going to do, what He's going to do, when He's going to do, what, how, how it's going to work out. But the Spirit comes in, like the, the book of Acts says, like a, a, a mighty rushing wind and does and accomplishes His work. Turn to John uh, 6, 663. Does anybody know? Is there a 666 6, 6 in John? I never thought about that. Yes, it is. It's about apostasy. <laughs> That's a good one. I hadn't thought about that. John 6, Verse 63. Does anybody have it? Go ahead, sir. John 6, 63.
2: It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The word that I have spoken to you
1: are spirit and life.
0: Now here, in this passage, it says uh, that the Spirit, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, the sarks, it profits you nothing. The Spirit is going to be the one who grants you life, who gives you life. And it's not just talking about life in general. In this particular passage, I think that John is relating it because he's talking about regeneration, about being born, born of the Spirit, being brought into a new relationship with God. Lastly, somebody turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Does anybody have that? You say second? Second Corinthians. Okay. I'll let somebody got a NASB. No, you can read it. <laughs> read it in the King James. Translate it into NASB in your head.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Now you're good, bro.
1: And such trust have we through Christ to God with. Us. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter. But of
0: the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You often hear people quote that verse, "Well, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life," and they're they're going to use it out of context. But here, again. The, the, the passage is just talking about it's the spirit that's going to give you life. It's going to regenerate you. It's going to make you born again. And that's an important aspect of our spiritual walk. If you're not born again, if you don't kick it off, you can't start the game. If you're just sitting there doing the coin flip for 60 minutes, you don't have a game. But the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you life. And it's, uh, it is the spirit of God who it was also the one person of God who is responsible for the birth of the Messiah. You can see that in Matthew 1.18 and Luke one thirty-five, And it's the same spirit that will give new life at the end of the age by bringing resurrection power to all of our dead bodies. Turn to Romans chapter 8. And I, I, I love this. Actually, since I became reformed in my thinking, I'm kind of loving Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9 more and more. Me and Chris were talking about it. And I love Romans chapter 8. Anybody have Romans 8? Go ahead, sir. 811. His Bible is just like, like open to Romans chapter 8. Just boom. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's going to be the spirit that's going to, at the end of time, do all of this. It's going to raise us up and bring us into our relationship with God. And it's weird as you're reading through the scriptures that they talk about uh uh, already-not-yet aspect to our salvation, that there's something that's happened now, but there's also going to be something that happens in the future. And as you're reading, you have to pay attention to whether to, to how the verbs are talking about if it's going to be past or if it's present or if it's future. But you have to understand that all of those are just the, what, the aspects of salvation. And so what we can see here is there is a greater fulfillment uh, of the Old Testament type here. God creates the world. He creates animals. He does all of this great creation, but... He does, it, he does that, I think, to typify the fact that God is going to recreate us. He's going to bring us into new relationship. He's going to change us from what we were to what he wants us to be. And that is an amazing fact. And it's through, it's through that regeneration work uh, of the Spirit that we have our relationship to Christ. And through Christ, we have our relationship to the Father. And that's an amazing thing to me. Any questions or any comments? No questions, no comments? Okay. Uh, the Spirit also gives power for service. So we're going to turn to the Old Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Spirit frequently empowers people for service. All right? Numbers says, the book of Numbers says in verse 18, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before uh, Eleazar, the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You can also see that in Deuteronomy uh, forty three nine. Yes sir. Uh, I'm sorry, um twenty seven. Twenty seven eighteen. Numbers twenty seven eighteen. Uh Deuteronomy forty three nine. And so that's just introducing the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who can, uh, who's going to empower people for service, not just because you, you often think, and this was how I was trained, you often think of that just being an Old, or New Testament thing. But it's also an Old Testament thing. There's uh, an active work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. And now that's been a, a change for me. Um, uh, the way that I was, uh, was brought up as, as a Christian, the way I was trained at Dallas Seminary, there's a work of the Spirit in the Old Testament, there's a work of the Spirit in the New Testament, or there's very little work of the, Old, of the Spirit in the Old Testament, and then everything happens in the New Testament. But I think Grudem does a very good job. It, it convinced me, so I'm a convinced person. Yes, it happened to me. Um, so yes, you can change that there's, there's stuff that happens in the Old Testament that's attributed to the Spirit. If you read the passages, you kind of can't get around them. So we're going to be talking about some of that. As you read through the book of Judges, has anybody read through the book of Judges lately? Absolutely, the book of Judges is a fascinating book. Um, you have to see the work of the Spirit all through that book. He comes upon, uh, Oth- Oth- I can never say this name, Oth- Othiniel uh, in Judges 3.10, Gideon in 6.34, Jephthah in 11.29, and Samson in 13.25, 14.6, 9, and 15.14. And as you go through the book of Judges, now who were the judges? Anybody? The leaders of Israel. The leaders of Israel, And what was their job? To lead Israel in the way that they should go and the things that they were to do. And if you would think that God's people would have leaders who were spirit empowered. and power. And if you think that and then you read the book of Judges, you kind of get that picture that they were. They were people who were led by the spirit of God to do what God was asking them to do. But here's a question for you. Was... Samson saved, and did he have the Spirit? He's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. He's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Doesn't that mess up your theology a little bit, though? Here's a man who lived this life that he was, I mean, it doesn't mess up your theology, and and I understand. (laughs) And and it doesn't mess up my theology either, but it kind of throws a a curve to you, because you're thinking, how can God do this, or why would God do this with Samson, when Samson did all of these bad things, but God at the end of his life still heard him. Still heard his cry and still came to him in his aid. And this was a man that was filled with the Spirit, had the Holy Spirit in him. But he's doing all of this and doing all of that. And here's an, here's another example. Uh, turn to 1 Samuel 16.3. 1 Samuel sixteen. Three. The text says, "Then Samuel took the horn of oil and and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon who? Who is it? What verse are you
2: reading? Sixteen,
0: First Samuel sixteen thirteen. Sorry,
2: sixteen
0: thirteen. First Samuel sixteen thirteen. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. 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 Now, David is a guy that we all know and love." And David is a, is a guy's another guy who who we know is saved because he's in the faith hall of fame he's in Romans he's in uh Hebrews chapter eleven which Pastor Miller is going to get to uh maybe in three or four years but <laughs> he, hes he's a guy I mean we know he's saved but here's a I mean he committed adultery he committed murder he broke all the commandments while he's supposedly saved while the spirit is on him he's doing all this stuff what is that that kind of just throws your theology, to me at least, it doesn't throw it, you know, you don't throw it out the door, but it kind of makes you stop and think, what is God doing? And why are these people in the text? What, what's God doing by giving us these people as examples or giving us, uh, even saying that certain people are in the Faith Hall of Fame? I think that we don't, um, we're not to imitate any of those people's lives, but we are to imitate those people's faith. Okay, That's why they're in the Faith Hall of Fame. That's why it's called the Faith Hall of Fame. We're supposed to look at their lives and say, no matter what happened, they believed God. They trusted God. They were holding on to what God had to to say with all of their might. And I agree with that. You don't want to look to these people. uh, You'll hear it out when you're street evangelizing. David uh, David had 700 wives or uh, uh, Saul had this and all of these issues in the Old Testament. Well, we're not supposed to imitate their life. We're supposed to imitate their faith. Okay? So that's, that's one of the things that you have, want to think about. And I think that's the problem that, um, that's the, one of the issues I think Muslims make. They want to say that we're supposed to, Im- they imitate the prophet Muhammad and, and they follow his example and it's the Sunnah and all that that Pastor Emilio talked about a couple weeks ago, but we don't have to do that. We don't have to follow any of the people's example except for one person whose life that we need to follow, his example. And we need to have faith in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between, you can't see the difference between Jesus Christ and Muhammad. There's a huge difference between the two, okay? Christ was sinless. Muhammad didn't even know if he was going to heaven. But Jesus Christ knew who he was and what he came to do. Any questions? Any comments? Any questions? Any comments?
2: I was just thinking more, John, about the fact of, you think about, some of these guys that the Spirit came upon, you know, who are so sinful, you know, Samson and David and Saul and all these guys. But so the only reason they are able to do those great things was because the Spirit came upon them. If it was just them or just us, no good would come from us. Yes. You know what I mean? But yes. when the Spirit comes, good things come. Yes. As well, you know. So it's another way to look at the Spirit and, and be thankful for the work that He does in sinful people. Right.
0: Yeah. And if you guys can remember um, one of the scriptures that I started off with last week. Jesus actually says, it's better that I go away so that the Spirit will come. And that still is a verse that if you, if you think about the ramifications, it, it should mess with you. What do you mean, Jesus, it's better that you're going away? I want, you I mean, wouldn't we all want Jesus right here to hold on to him, to talk to him, to be able to eat with him and sleep with him and, and, and just have, you know, have dinner and all this? That would be wonderful. But he says, I got to go so the Spirit can come. And that should let us know, the Spirit again, The Spirit is God, you know. The Spirit is God Almighty. The Spirit has all the omni-attributes, all the incommunicable, all the communicable. The Spirit is God, and he is in control. Um, Lastly, in the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit would, at a future time, he would anoint the Messiah, the King of Israel, with great fullness and power. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Does anybody want to read for us? Or not, I will read. Go ahead. The spirit of
1: the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the Lord. And he will delight in the spirit of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees, what his eyes see no longer we'll
0: make a decision By what his ears hear. Ears here. hear. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Who's the him? The Messiah, who's to come. The Spirit of the Lord is going to be just going to come on him and he's going to be able to do these miraculous things. What's he going to have? The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Okay, that's going to come from the Holy Spirit, who's going to be working. Yes, sir?
1: Well, I, I just wanted to maybe just clarify a little bit, since we read in verse 3, where it says he won't judge by what he sees or what he hears. Mm-hmm. Kind of maybe confuses some of us, you know, like what, doesn't, he, doesn't Jesus see and hear? Can he interpret correctly, right? Right. I think these are just like Jewish, he, Hebraic euphemisms, right, mm-hmm. to explain. It's like, he doesn't judge as appearance, with appearance, or what is on the surface, or what it appears to be, Right. Uh, but as it goes on to he say, He'll judge in righteousness. So, obviously, just in clarifying how not that there's something wrong with what Jesus sees or what He hears, but right. He doesn't judge according to the outside of the external. God judges in the heart, right?
0: And 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 that's it's an important part. If you think about the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, He's taking what they knew. He's taking the law which they knew. Do not commit adultery. But then Jesus does this; he just intensifies it and focuses it down. He says you can't even have lust in your heart mm-hmm. for somebody. So it's 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 he's doing what what Pastor Emilio said. He's he's not looking at what you're doing on the outside. He's not saying that that's going to make you righteous. It's what your heart's like. And if you're following the law through the through obedience of the heart, um, God even says of His Messiah in Isaiah 42, 1, "Behold, my servant, whom I uphold; my chosen." my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So again, God is just talking. Uh, there's there's the prophetic announcement in Isaiah. There's God saying what he's going to do to his Messiah. And there's even what the Messiah says about himself. Turn to uh, Isaiah 61. And there will be bonus points if anybody can tell me where this is quoted in the New Testament after we read it. Who's not named Pastor Chris or Pastor Emilio? <laughs> Isaiah 61 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim uh, liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. That's a wonderful promise. You know, He's coming to set us free. And I know, uh, I I can think back in my life, I definitely needed to be set free. I was bound in sin. But Christ came, and he opened up my life, and he opened up the the Christian life to who I am, to to me being who I'm supposed to be. Does anybody know where that's quoted in the New Testament? Not you two. (laughs) He's dying back there. He's dying. Hold on. I want to tell you all. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 Luke 4 verse 18 Does anybody want to read Luke 4:18? Actually, we can start at uh start at verse 17. Luke 4:17 and 18. Does anybody I'll, I'll just read. It. I'll read you want to read? Thank yeah. you.
2: So he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up To read, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord.
0: And verse 20, sorry.
2: sorry. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down and said in my... And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled
0: in your hearing. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Christ is saying, look, I'm the Messiah. Now what if a man walked in here and we had a scripture reading and he read this passage and it was something like this and he sat down and said, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, I would kind of freak out. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about you. Now if we were living in time before Christ came... Can't you see how that would kind of make people go, wow, you know, but what did the Jews do? They immediately tried to throw him off a cliff. But that's just how Jews act. You know, we're not going to respond to you rightly, Christ. We're going to try to throw you off a cliff. But uh, we can see that the, the spirit and the son, the Messiah and the father are all active in the Messiah's coming and anointing the Messiah for service. But now I got to get to the most controversial part of my lesson today. Uh, before we turn to the New Testament, there is something that I want to address, and is the Spirit indwelling. And I already talked about this a little bit. Old Testament believers. Now, here's what I believe. Before if somebody, somebody turn to John 14. Now, this is what I kind of believed as I was taught uh, through school. John 14, verses 16 and 17. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and shall be in you. And in John seven thirty nine, the Bible says this, But he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, do these two texts, plus some other proof texts throughout the scriptures, say that the Spirit's work was non existent in the Old Testament? Now, I already told you all what I believe, but give me some pushback, give me some feedback. What do y'all think? These are two strong texts. For the side that says, "Hey, there's something different between the work of the Spirit then and now." Yes, sir. <clears throat> We're going by memory here. Um, in the Old Testament, the Spirit came and went as God chose. Um, you could not. No, in the Old Testament, you could lose. In, in a sense, you know, the Lord was told. In the New Testament, after Christ was glorified, when it didn't dwelt you, it was in you. It was in you. Okay. Anybody else? Does anybody agree with Carlos? I mean, it, yeah, with Saul,
1: it's sending out the spirit. left Saul, whenever mm-hmm. David, was anointed.
0: You didn't ready to say, Pastor Chris? I thought you were going to say something. Yeah, I was. Go ahead. Um,
2: so, yeah, I think we just got to make some more more distinctions between what the spirit was doing in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I think the spirit did, as you pointed out, we read so many verses that he came upon people for service. Right which the Spirit's free to do that, to come upon somebody, even an unsaved person, unregenerate person, to um, cause them to do things for his purposes. But I think as far as God's saving work is regenerating work. Um, just like Jesus was teaching Nicodemus, that you can't see the kingdom of God unless the Spirit has done that regenerating work, which would apply to everybody. So I think the Spirit regenerated and sealed just like he does now. But at the same time, there also is something greater. You know what I mean? Yes. And and I talked about when we went through Acts in Sunday school, that was a hard thing to deal with is what is that greater work? So I think that he regenerated. I think that he seals. But there is a distinction in the New Testament about what he does. And verse 17 that you read from John 14 kind of hints at it because he says both things. He says the Spirit abides with you. Mm-hmm. And he will be in you. Right. So he is there, right. but there is some other greater presence that will come. You know.
0: And I think that's the key word. There's a, a work of the Spirit that is just going to be uh, intensified. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. And not in a way that, um, not doing more stuff, but that the effects of the Spirit are going to be more intense. That we're going to see... Um, the, the the spirit is not going to be so general. It's going to be more specific, and that that to me is what kind of convinced me. I, I was fully over on this side that the the there was there was a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament work of the Spirit. But uh, talking to some people and having them drilling into my head, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, I, I got to give up. I got to give up on this point. Uh, I don't think the Scriptures teach that there's a separation. I think that the issue is. It is a greater working of the Spirit in the New Testament that we see as opposed to there's no work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. And now we have, after Pentecost, we have uh, a greater work of the Spirit. I I was reading last night in um, John MacArthur's study Bible. He, like, starts the church uh, at Acts 2. He makes that point. The church starts in Acts 2, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes. And I'm like, okay, John, I, I love you. I can't agree with you. I just think you're you're. You're missing the point there. Now he might have a reason. I'd, I'd love to, if I ever get a chance, I'd love to talk to him and ask him why. But I just think it's an incorrect point. Hey John. Yes, sir. Uh,
1: John McCarthy would tell you why, too, by the way. I'm sure <laughs> for, for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> why. But, uh, just maybe a couple um, points to point out there because I think it's important to understand. I mean, I want—I know for our church, you know—I want to make sure people understand. Right. The difference between the ontological and the economic work of the Spirit. Ontologically, we're talking about what does the Spirit do within the soul and the being of a man. Right. We don't believe that the ontology of the Spirit has changed at all. He regenerates, he indwells, he seals. Right. That's why Abraham can be a pattern of salvation in the Book of Romans. Could you
0: right? say that one more time? That's so, why
1: Abraham can become a pattern of salvation to us in the Book of Romans. Right. Because he was regenerated in the same in the same way that we were, and on top of that. Jesus said that he came, just like you were saying, to give the Spirit without measure. So the the Messianic age represents a superabundant outpouring of the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean introducing the Spirit into the church. Right. Or introducing the Spirit into the life of a believer for the first time ever.
0: I like that, superabundance. I like that word. And then,
1: you know, maybe just one other point. First Peter chapter 1, Peter says... That the prophets had the spirit of God in them, right? Okay, so and, it, and it, that's the only reason they were enabled to know a divine revelation from God is because the spirit dwelling within them, so exactly. I had to get that out of my
0: system. And, and, and Daniel in chapter 4, Daniel 4, 8 and 9, he had the spirit in him. Ezekiel in Ezekiel yeah. 2, 2, he had the spirit in him. Joshua had the spirit in him. Uh, you can look at the first chapter of Luke. Um, it talks about this is, again, before the new covenant comes, supposed quote unquote, uh, the New Testament starts, if you want to say it that way, verse 15, verse 41, verse 67. Those are all people that are in the lineage of Jesus and know Jesus Christ. They all had the spirit in them. So I, I agree with what Pastor Emilio was saying. The Holy Spirit was working on people, in people, and through people throughout all of redemption history. So, But it is a super abundance, I like that better than my word greater, super abundance of the Spirit's work that we find in the New Testament. And here's what Grudem says about that. He says, the Holy Spirit had not come within them in a way in which God had promised to put the Holy Spirit within his people when the new covenant would come, nor had the Holy Spirit been poured out uh, nor had the Holy Spirit been poured out in the great abundance and fullness that would characterize the New Covenant age. Uh, in this powerful New Covenant sense, the Holy Spirit was not yet at work within the disciples. And I think that that's an accurate statement um, by, by Grudem. Any questions? Any comments? They were saying that you, yet last week you did in about, you added to the definition of Grudem's uh, definition of the work of the Spirit. You wanted to include Christ. the redemption of Christ. Of God's people in Christ Right And why, why are you pointing that out Oh uh, just I mean you, you didn't put it up there I, Maybe it might be a good thing I don't know Maybe to put it the third point <laughs> Well, We could Yeah but I, I think What wh- I'm trying to follow Grudem's outline And I think what Grudem is dealing with Is just the scriptural evidence um, What Grudem's kind of done Is and, and I was listening to um, The actual tape series that he did When he wrote his systematic theology He just kind of Put all of the things about the Holy Spirit He said in buckets and he had buckets for this and buckets for that, and then he just kind of put them in categories from those buckets. And I think what what are, what we're talking about is not simply that that work of the Holy Spirit dealing with Christ, which is why I didn't give it in the definition this morning. Um, but he's talking about just the just just the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. That's all he's talking about. So that's why. But it's a good point that there. I think uh, that you have to when you're talking about the work of the Spirit, you have to include. Uh, what Christ has done for you, that's part of it, but it's not what we're actually focusing on today. okay? Um, we're going to go turn to the New Testament. So did we put a period on that? Holy Spirit's at work today. Boom. Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the empowering work of the Spirit is uh, seen first and greatest and in, 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 in its greatest capacity in the life and teachings of Jesus as the Messiah. Um, The Holy Spirit descended upon him at his baptism. We can see that in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. Uh, John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. That's John chapter 1, verse 32. Therefore, Jesus entered into the temptation in the wilderness. Luke 4, 1 says, full of the Holy Spirit. And after his temptation at the beginning of his ministry, uh, after that whole thing happened with the devil, Jesus comes back into Galilee, and and the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit. So as we're looking at what the Spirit is doing, the the best example for us to look at in the New Testament is going to be, we can look at Jesus and see what he's done. The power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life is seen in um, his subsequent miracles. He casts out demons in Luke chapter 4, verses 36. Um, and in the context of talking about his own ministry and the father's blessing on that ministry, Jesus says it is, And this is a scripture. Pastor Amelia just mentioned it is not by measure that he gives the spirit. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. That's in John three verses thirty four through thirty five. Um, Jesus had, Jesus had this anointing of the Holy Spirit without measure. And that anointing remained on him throughout his life. Now, Here's a another mind blowing question for you: Did Jesus do things as God, or did He do things as man? Now, before you start thinking about it, I'm going to tell you right now that that's a trick question. That's a trick question. So, yes, yes. All right, K.W. straight to the point. Yes, you know. So, what do y'all think? So, give me. I, we understand as, as, as Christians who understand our theology that you can't separate. The, the spirit of the, the the God part of Jesus, and I won't say the, the nature, of the God nature of Jesus from the human nature of Jesus. I think that's a better way of saying it. But at some points, the scriptures talks about the man Christ Jesus, and there are other points in the scripture where it talks about Christ Jesus and that, the fact that he's God, or he'll do something that only God can do, or he'll do something that a man does. It doesn't necessarily mention um, in every verse that talks about Jesus, and if, there's no word in scripture that says he's the God man. Uh, I was, uh, was it... Um, uh, what was the debate I was watching today? Um, it was James White and Shadid Lewis. Uh, it was that to me that it was a blowout. But Shadid is focused on he's a man, he's a man, he's a man, and, and and James White just kept harping back on the fact, yeah, he's a man, but he's also God, and you can't get past the fact that he's also God. God can, if he chooses, step into his creation and do what he wills and wants with it, and that's 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 not a problem for me. So. The answer is, he did things as both, okay? And the answer is found in Philippians chapter 2. Everybody turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm sorry, has Pastor Miller, have you preached Philippians yet? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I would say, just understanding that he's a, a good expositor and a good uh, guy, I would go back, find those sermons, and just, Philippians chapter 2 is an amazing chapter of the Bible, and um Uh, We'll start at verse 5, but if you just want to read the whole chapter, the whole chapter is really, really amazing. Um, We're going to read verses 5 through verse 8. The answer to that question, uh, did Jesus do his works by the Spirit or through his divine nature, was he human or was he God? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being, made in likeness, uh, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it goes on, the, the passage goes on, and that's just really an amazing passage of Scripture. But when you're trying to figure out, does Jesus do things as man, or does he do things as God, you have to remember that God uh, caused an incarnation, that God sent, the, the Father sent the Son into the world to be part of the creation that he had created. And so you have to understand that Jesus is fully man, uh, and he was like us. He had to be made like us in all ways except without sin. Uh, any man that is full of the Spirit of God can accomplish great and mighty things. I mean, any, you think about what goes on in the book of Acts. When they're full of the Spirit, these men, the Bible says, turn the world upside down. These were, they were men just like us. Peter was a fisherman. That's like saying today Peter was a grocery store clerk, you know, and he turned the world upside down. And this this is they wrote a book, the New Testament, that uh, has confounded scholars to this day. And it's still a living document. Yes, people can memorize all of the Quran because it's a dead document. But you have men and the, some of the brightest men on the planet, if they can memorize one gospel and maybe two epistles. They're doing great jobs because the Bible is living and active and it's sharper than a two, Sorry, I'm quoting scripture from last week. It's sharper than a two edged sword. I mean, it's a—it's an amazing thing. Any questions or comments? You want to be filled with the Spirit. Um, God is waiting, and he, God has baptized you with the Spirit, and He's waiting for you to just yield your life moment by moment to that work. And and if, as you do that, you'll start to see your life change. Your life is so much better. I'll, I'll speak. I don't want to get into a lot of experience about what the Spirit—the Spirit does. But I'll say, as, as I yield myself to the Holy Spirit and what he's telling me, and I don't want to say that in a kooky way, but my life goes a lot better. My, it's not easier, but my life goes better. Because if I'm walking in God's will, your life goes a lot better. Any questions, any comments? It is
2: encouraging to know that it is the same spirit in us that was empowering Jesus to do all those things. You know, that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing yeah. to think about.
0: And it's and it's also the same spirit in us that was in the early church. It's the same spirit that was in the early church fathers. It's the same spirit that was in, that's in us that was in the church in the Middle Ages. It's the same spirit that's going to be in the church two thousand years from now if Christ just, you know waits. That to me it's the same spirit. It's God, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, sir.
1: I just think it's amazing, like what you pointed out in terms of, of scripture. The Bible says the Spirit gave us the Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it says, the Spirit says, and then it quotes Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's in the I, Bible.
0: The, I can cross that off. That's one of my notes. That's <laughs> one, of <laughs> one of my Sorry. points. Sorry. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just, you, you mentioned it, so, you know, that's, that's always a comfort and an amazing ministry of the Spirit, you know, is to give us the Bible.
0: Yes. Uh, there's, I don't want to speak before I think. I'll, I'll save that. I'll, I'll, we'll get to it in my notes, hopefully, if we have time. We're kind of running out of time. we got five minutes left. Um, uh, the next few examples of the empowering of the Spirit are, are kind of basic, so I'm just going to kind of run through them. The Spirit empowered Jesus' disciples for various kinds of ministries. Um, you can remember we read Acts 1.8 last week. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, you can see the results of this empowering through the rest of the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. Um, Stephen in Acts chapter 6 is an example of being empowered. Um, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. You can also see Acts 4, uh, Acts 6, First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Um, and this is the point Pastor Millio was talking about. The Spirit also speaks through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel message as it is proclaimed to the people who hear. Um, the New Testament ends with an amazing revelation. With this amazing statement, turn to Revelation 22. While you guys are turning there, if you guys ever have problems reading your Bible throughout the year, uh, I heard a I heard a guy say this, and it's kind of it's kind of neat. You can read the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three chapters of Revelation, and you'll kind of understand the whole picture of the Bible. And so, if you're if you're ever feeling pushed for time, <laughs> read the first three chapters and the last three chapters, and you'll kind of get what's going on. But Revelation 22, verse 17 says this: uh, The Spirit and the Church are the people who, who are, are the ones who are calling uh, people unbelievers to salvation. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come," and let the ones who hear say, "Come," and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water uh, who wishes to take the water of life. Without cost that 's the spirit and the church are, are calling people to, um, to to come to salvation and the the spirit empowers the prayers of believers romans eight twenty six says in the same way, the spirit also helps with our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and it also says in ephesians two uh, for through him which is Christ we have access." in one spirit to the Father. Uh, next, the text says, uh, another aspect of the empowering of the spirit is empowering people to overcome spiritual opposition to the preaching of the gospel and to God's work in people's lives. Um, the power of spiritual warfare is first seen in the life of Jesus, who says, it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You can also see that uh, a similar thing in Acts 13. Now, the last aspect, and we've got to really hit this quick, is the empowering work of the Spirit is given through uh, spiritual gifts to equip the Christ- Christians for ministry. Now, what I want to say as I preface this is I don't want to get into a, a debate about you know whether you want to continue signs, whether signs stopped, or whether this or that. I don't want to get into that debate. Uh, and I don't want to turn this into... Um, that's, it, it actually was higher in Grudem's list, but I moved it down. So one, we would be up against the time, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, but also because I, I don't want to fight about this issue. Um, Grudem is a person who is a continuous who believes in the, in the gifts, and uh, and that's fine. And there there are there are there was a book called in um, Grudem uh, was the editor of it called um, it was a Zondervan Counterpoints book, uh, four views on the Holy Spirit. And there's a Pentecostal view, a Pentecostal charismatic view, a what's called um, a cessationist view, an co- open but cautious view, and then the crazy people that are associated with John Wimber and his movement. I, it's, I can't remember who, what they're called. I actually I, I don't fit into any of those categories. I'm, not, I'm, I'm cautious, but I'm open. And I think that's a little different than being open but cautious. I think open but cautious is they all happen and they can do it, and I, and I have to see it. My, my position is, and I think and I, me and Pastor Emilio talked about this a long time ago. Do you remember? And I don't want to put you in this box. If you want to shake your head and agree, I'll, I'll really appreciate it. But <laughs> he, yeah, basically, the Bible does not say that, holy, that the gifts has, have ceased. But when you look at what people are saying are the gifts, it doesn't match up with what the Bible says should be going on. And so that's my position. I don't think that the gifts have ceased, but I haven't seen gifts practiced the way the Bible says. Would that be accurate?
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I mean, like I said at the very beginning of systematic theology, I take partial as a partial cessationist position. You know, to say that gifts have ceased is too general. Right. You know, what I mean, there's still so many gifts that that we offer. You're operating in the gift of the Spirit right now, brother. Mm-hmm. You're teaching.
0: And, and my knees are knocking. Yes, sir. But
1: I think the revelatory gifts are what, in my opinion, have ceased. The right. Speaking in tongues, of receiving divine revelation, prophecy, being a healer. You know, I had a guy come up to me at UNT just this week and told me, you know, Jesus would be up there preaching the way that you're preaching. He'd be out here healing people and raising the dead. I said, Go ahead, show me. Right. I said, Do you have the gift of healing? He said, Yes, I do. I said, Then you're the cruelest person I've ever met. <laughs> you right. You should be in a children's cancer ward. Healing children all day long. What are you doing here? So, I don't believe anybody has the gift of healing going around healing people. Right. You know what I mean? Can God heal today? Absolutely, without question. Mm -hmm. But He chooses to do that through the prayers of the saints, the elders, anoint people, pray for the sick, the prayer of faith will heal the sick, those types of things. So,
2: there's no
0: easy way out, so. Good luck. <laughs> Tag, you're it. No, but I, I, I agree. That's kind of how I am, and then, and I think, the, the, honestly, to me, what what helped is the more you read the scriptures, the more you actually see that position kind of rise to the surface. I think some people have read the scriptures and they read them superficially, and they fall over into well, it's all about the spirit, it's all about the gifts, and the gifts got to do everything, and they got to, you got gifts, and it's it. But other people, they want to, they don't want to look at the scriptures in context, in the whole flow of all of the scriptures, and they'll fall on the other side and say, "Well, there are no gifts today." I think if you read the scriptures and understand what the scriptures are saying, that you, I, I call it open but cautious, or cautious but open, and I think you'll just—it's it, it, a little bit better of an opinion. But here's what Grudem has to say. He says, um, uh, "But one in the self, same Spirit works all these things, distributing, distributing to each one individually as He wills." That's First Corinthians twelve, eleven. The Holy Spirit is the one who manifests god 's presence in the world and it's not surprising that Paul can call uh, spiritual gifts the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that's in first corinthians twelve seventeen when this uh, when spiritual gifts are active it is another indication that the Spirit of God is at work in that church what does it say in first Corinthians fourteen uh, uh, God is really among you you know that should be the the, the point I think of what spiritual gifts should should be and as as Pastor Emilio's preaching, as Chris, Chris is singing, as all of you guys are fellowshipping and talking to one another, anybody who comes into this church, they should say, hey, God is really here because of the way you guys are acting and the things that you're doing. Not because somebody speaks in tongues or stands up and says, I got a word from the Lord. It shouldn't be that. It should be the preaching, the teaching, and what's going on uh, that, are, that seem more normal, but they're actually works of the Spirit as he empowers people to do what he's called them to do. Uh, any questions? Any comments? I'm sorry I had to put that long, I really don't want to turn this into a fight part on there, but it, it, Grudem, because he gets at the end, and we'll cover this in a few years, the whole issue of spiritual gifts and, and prophecy, I disagree with Grudem, but uh, i like to see how Pastor Miller will handle that. It'll be good to see. <laughs> um, so, uh, in conclusion, if we go back to our definition of the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. We have seen, in light of this definition, that the manifest active presence of God is seen in the empowering work that He gives, uh, that He gives life, and He gives power for service. Are there any questions? Any comments? Let's, yes, sir.
2: I was just thinking about the work of the Spirit, you know. And it's funny that, like in Galatians, which they say is a very early book, He's already not saying like the fruit of the Spirit is just miraculous gifts. Right. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, generous, self-control, right, right. So that's another way we can manifest the work of the Spirit, and know that He's amongst us right. is by really Those holiness things. and, and Christ likeness. Yes,
0: and, and I and I think there's another passage in Galatians where it says, "Does does He who gives you the Spirit and works miracles among you, right. you know, do these things?" And it's again, it's a, it's an early book, but in, and it's talking about the Spirit works, and the Spirit the Spirit has power, the Spirit is God, mm-hmm. but it's not that. Um, you need healers and tongue talkers and all of this in your church today. No, if we have good Christian fellowship, good Christian love towards one another, that's what it's going to manifest the presence of God. Any questions, any comments? If not, yes, sir. You uh, did a
1: good
0: job. Thank you. Uh, again, if this table wasn't here, you'd see my knees. But uh, I thank you guys. I appreciate it. Um, i got got two more weeks. Um, let's pray and then let's go to worship. Um, Father, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity, Lord, to come and speak on um, the empowering of the Spirit. We know that the empowering of the Spirit is so important to us as Christians. Uh, Lord, we want to look at it in a right way. We want to line up with what you've said in your word. And, Father, we want to walk in that straight line. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give you all of the blessings. In Christ Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.